I wonder if you've heard of um, Gertrude Rask. Gertrude Rask lived in uh, Norway around the 1800s, actually 1700s. Um, she was the wife of a pastor in Norway. She and her husband heard very clearly the call of God. They knew, both Gertrude and her husband, Hans, God was calling them to be missionaries to Greenland. But Gertrude uh, wasn't ready to go. And some might say with good reason. She was 45 years old at the time. Uh, They had four children to care for. The youngest was about a year old. Um, Back there, they didn't enjoy the the, the nice travel kind of technologies, planes and all that that we have. They knew the journey would be dangerous, very dangerous. In um, a biography written later about the family, we're told that Gertrude's husband, Hans, when he had announced the plans to go, um, his friends, along with her friends, wrote many letters to the couple um, expressing their great severe disapproval of their plans. We're even told that even Hans's mother-in-law, Gertrude's mother, started to influence people around them to have strong feelings against Hans and his plans. But we even hear that Gertrude herself, she started to hint that quote, this is Gertrude speaking, She'd repented having attached herself to a man who by such plans was going to ruin himself and ruin those belonging to him. Gertrude had herself heard the call, God's call to go, but she she just wasn't quite ready to obey. There were too many um, outside factors, too many unknowns, too many risks involved in hearing what God had wanted from her and and doing it, obeying, going. So again, I ask, I wonder if you've ever felt like Gertrude Rask in a position like that, where you've heard the voice and the call of God, but there's too many unknowns, there's too many risks. You know who has felt like Gertrude? Moses. Moses, let me bring you up to speed with where we are in our, in our travel, our journey through the book of Moses, book of Exodus, written by Moses. Moses literally hears the voice of God. He hears God's call. Do you remember? We saw this the last few weeks through the burning bush. God calls Moses to kind of essentially be like the first ever missionary, right? What, what does a missionary kind of do? They... Moses is sent to a specific specific people group, the people of Israel. Moses was to bring them some good news. Hey, people of Israel, God is sending me to you to rescue you from bondage, from slavery. Isn't that kind of what a missionary does? They go to a, a people group and they come bringing the good news that Jesus has come to rescue us from the bondage and slavery of sin, right? So God tells Moses, Moses, you'll go to Pharaoh and you'll tell Pharaoh to let my people 
Go. And as you can imagine, let's be fair to Moses. He's got his reservations, as you and I would. Like Gertrude, there were some external factors getting in the way of his obedience to God's call. Let's see what those were. We're going to see here as we pick up the story from verse 10, what some of those reservations were. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Here's what we're not going to do this morning. I don't want to dwell too much on the various interpretations of what Moses meant by not being eloquent, by being slow of speech and tongue. If you were here last week, Gary spent a bit of time going through some of those possibilities. Was it a learning difficulty? Was it a language thing? Was it a speech impediment? Was it some kind of disability that Moses actually had? Whatever it was, Moses is using it as a reason for thinking, essentially, I'm not the, God, I am not the right person for this job. I wonder what the reasons are for you. What are your reasons? Like, I know that there is, there's some, some ministry, some opportunity God is calling each one of you to. Some way that he wants you to get involved, to serve others, to bless others. But we can all relate to Moses, can't we? About giving excuses, reasons for telling him no. God, not yet. God, send that guy. Send that girl. Send, send someone else. It's not me. What are your reasons? In the end, we really just, we, we can't be sure exactly what it was for Moses, what he's referring to. But here's, here's, in my humble opinion, maybe it's perhaps best that we don't know. Maybe it's a good thing that we don't know. Because maybe by not telling us what this thing that Moses had is kind of God's way of saying, it doesn't matter what it was. Whether it was some kind of disability or some kind of perceived weakness or some kind of inability that he may have thought he had, whatever it is you think you may have or what's holding you back, because the way God is about to handle Moses' excuses is the same way he wants to handle ours. God wants us today to be able to relate to and connect to Moses' story here and what he's going through and what's about to happen to him. See, because think about this for a moment. Think about what could have happened here. But if it did happen that way, it would have left us maybe not being able to relate to Moses' story here. Let me give you a couple of alternative scenarios, right, of how this could have played out. Imagine God would have said, Moses, look, just, just stop it. This disability you think you have, it's, it's in your head. It's in your head, Moses. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, let me show you again. Let me remind you, Moses, just how gifted and all the abilities you do have. Moses, you're enough. Let's go do this. You've got this, Moses. Let's go. Imagine God would have said that. See, I don't know about you, but if that's how the story went, I'd be like, hey, that's, that's nice that Moses can be used in this way. But how about the rest of us? How about the rest of us? T to be honest, there's not really, we're not that particularly special, are we? Who aren't as educated as Moses was 
who didn't grow up in Pharaoh's palace like Moses did, who didn't know at least maybe two languages, if not more, like Moses did, who wasn't as well connected as Moses was. How about the rest of us? Okay, God, I like this story here, but maybe that's not me. Maybe I shouldn't go. Maybe I shouldn't obey. Maybe I shouldn't serve you. Or how about this scenario? Imagine God would have said, Moses, you're right. There is something wrong with you. But you know what? I'm going to heal you of that first. And then boom, he's healed. Now Moses, let's, now let's go. You've got this, Moses. Let's go and do this. Can you see the problem with this scenario though? Can you see the problem with this one? You see, now I'm left thinking, well, that, again, that's great for Moses, but he gets healed and then he goes and serves God. But Lord, so therefore I'm left thinking, unless you heal me first, or fix my situation, well, then I guess I can't go. Maybe I'm not supposed to go. Maybe I'm not supposed to serve you in, in this way. So again, for many of us, it's kind of hard to relate to the story if it planned out like that. That's not how it panned out, though. See, maybe God doesn't want us to know exactly what, what was or wasn't wrong with Moses so that you can place yourself in his story. You can place yourself right there in his story and you can relate to what's going on. And here's what's about to happen. Notice this. I love this. This should be encouraging, but hard to hear sometimes. God isn't about to affirm Moses' affirmation. It's good. It's such a big thing, though, in our culture society is. But God isn't about to affirm Moses in all of his giftedness. He's not about to heal him of the disability, of if that's what it was that he had. He's not about to remove any of these external factors that was holding Moses back from going. No, God wants Moses to serve him, to serve God on God's terms, not on Moses' terms. Did you, get, did you get that? God wants Moses to serve him. God wants to use Moses, but on God's terms, but not on Moses' terms. See, it seems like what Moses is really saying is this, God... If I were this way, or if things were, were, were that way, God, if you did this for me first, then I'd go. God, if you just fixed my situation, then I'd go. Then I'd serve you. I reckon we've all maybe had this attitude with God at one stage or another. God, if you take away this suffering, if only I had, fill in the blank, I don't know, more money, more time, God. If, okay, God, let me... Let me first establish my career. God, if only I had a spouse, whatever it is, then, God, I can joyfully serve you and give you my life. We've had this attitude. I know I have. But can you see the problem with this attitude? We start playing this dangerous game of trying to negotiate with God. God, I'll serve you. God, I'll follow you. I'll obey you if first. And I say dangerous game. Why do I say that? If you follow along the story, I don't know if you noticed there in verse 14, all this back and forth and trying to negotiate with God, God kind of gets fed up with Moses, and it says that the Lord's anger is kindled against Moses. I don't know about you, that's not a place that I want to be, where I'm kind of igniting the Lord's anger against me because I refuse to obey. But on the other hand, ultimately... The problem with taking this approach with God is this. 
you, you may just end up waiting for something that God never has any intention of doing. Like here with Moses. God doesn't seem to have any intention of making Moses more eloquent. God has no intention of, of healing his tongue. See, God wanted Moses to have a different approach to when it comes to serving God and being used by God. A different perspective on how one is to go and serve and do the things that God wants them to do. Notice how God responds to Moses when Moses starts to focus too much on himself, his perceived weaknesses, his inabilities, his, his lack of giftedness. I love this. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it... Not I, the Lord. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I love this. You know how God responds Moses? Moses needs to be reminded that, Moses, you have been wonderfully and fearfully made, Moses, just the way you are. Moses had been given exactly the gifts that God wanted him to have, but get this, exactly the weaknesses that God wanted him to have. And those gifts and those weaknesses were to be used for God's glory, to be used for God's service. God's answer to Moses here in verse 11 is what I believe is perhaps the main point, the main idea of this passage, at least of this sermon. It's this. God made you exactly how he wanted to make you. And that's exactly how he wants to use you. Think about that. God made you exactly how he wanted to make you. And that's exactly how he's going to use you. He wants to use you. Moses, I gave you the mouth you have. That wasn't an accident. This, this thing that you think or you perceive is a weakness or disability, I gave that to you. And that's the mouth I want you to use to go and speak to Pharaoh. And here's why I want to use your particular mouth that you think is so weak. Because I will be with your mouth. And I will teach you what you shall speak. And I will show myself to be strong and powerful by doing it through someone who is so weak like you, Moses. In other words, Moses, I will be strong in your weakness. Over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes this same point. But instead of using kind of the mouth, he's going to use this analogy, this imagery of, of a jar of clay. Maybe you remember when Paul references a jar of clay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As we read, and this is so encouraging, as we read through the Bible, we see that God loves to use those who are considered low and despised by the world standards to be his messengers. God loves using the foolish, you remember, to shame the wise. He chooses the weak in the world standards to shame the strong. Why? Because that way God gets all the credit. We don't. God gets all the glory, not us. The point that the Apostle Paul is making over to the Corinthians, 
Same point that God is making through Moses. Moses, it's not about the presentation. For some of us, that's good news, that it's not about the presentation that's, that the people see. It's not about this, this the kind of brittle jar of clay that you and I are, or that weak mouth doing the speaking. No, it's what's in the jar. It's, it's who's with the mouth. God is a treasure. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the treasure. It's not the man. It's the one who's in the man. And the powerful message that he's been given to take, that's where the power is. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, and, and get this, the Apostle Paul, according to tradition, again, some of it is speculation, um, but there isn't a document that goes all the way to the first century, apparently, that describes um, the Apostle Paul like this, as someone who was bald-headed, um, bow-legged, strongly built. I don't know what, uh, look, when I describe someone who's a little bit chubby, you know, you never like to say, that's a bit rude. You just describe them as strongly built, right? Stocky. Maybe that was the Apostle Paul. Small in size. This is my favorite. Um, with meeting eyebrows. Apparently, Apostle Paul had a unibrow. Rather a large nose. See, if this is what the Apostle Paul looked like, see, I reckon that's why he could confidently say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God to save, not me, not my appearance, not my wisdom, not my strength, not my, not my gifts, not my abilities. God will show himself to be strong, even by using kind of weak, unattractive, seemingly unimpressive by the world's standards, vessels like you and I. So perhaps then the point is, you and I need to stop coming up with excuses when it comes to serving God when he calls you to do something. You and I need to stop saying, I, I can't. And instead start believing, yeah, yeah, God can. I can't. But God can. I was talking to, to someone just last week. It was a hard conversation. They were pouring out their, their heart. He was broken. Um, marriage falling apart needing to sell the family home, um, the thought of not living with his kids anymore. Uh, and I guess maybe because he knows I'm a pastor, he kind of threw out this phrase that we've all heard many, many times before and, and maybe he kind of said it um, to one last... Kind of, he's, he's trying to be as hopeful and to try to encourage him himself. So we're talking and he's like, but hey, you know, but they say God never gives us more than we can handle, Right? And in that moment, I don't know, you know, you have those moments. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit that gives you this, um, this, this insight or something or this picture or an idea. And I don't know if it was thanks to Facebook or Instagram or some kind of post you see. But I remember reading what I think is a, is a more biblical version of this phrase. Where it says that it's not that God gives us more than we can handle. He'll never give us more than what he can handle. And that's good news because there's nothing God can't handle. See, the reality for Moses, confronting Pharaoh the way God was asking him to, that's more than what any mere human was able to handle. But not more than what God could handle. And spoiler alert, God handles it pretty good. He's going to show himself 
to be strong and powerful, even through Moses' perceived disabilities. It's just that maybe Moses needed to get to the point, and we need to get to the same point where we can believe that God made you exactly how he wanted to make you, and that's exactly how he wants to use you. Stop waiting to be affirmed by someone or by God. Stop waiting perhaps to be healed or to get from God what you might be asking for. If he is asking, then go as you are, trusting that he can so that he can show just how powerful he is. Let me end by giving you a real life, two real-life examples of, um, of two people who believe this and one who, I think, believes this now. Um, as we end up, I'm going to ask the music team to, to, to come and we're going to sing a song in just a moment that's actually related to one of these stories. Maybe some of you older ones um, have heard uh, of Fanny Crosby. I think we've got a picture of Fanny Crosby up on the screen. Fanny Crosby lived in the 1800s in the US. Um, just after Fanny was born, she developed a serious illness. And one of the symptoms was that her eyes became inflamed. That was one of the symptoms of her illness. Her eyes became inflamed. Her parents take her to the doctor. The doctor prescribed that her parents should put a, a kind of um, hot mustard concoction on her eyes. And even though she got better from the illness, um, it's believed that this, tr this treatment damaged the optic nerves um, and left her blind for the rest of her life, as you can see there. Um, just a few months later, her father died, so like, when she's six months old. So there's tragedy after tragedy. She ends up being raised by her mother and her grandmother, who were committed Christians, they kind of encouraged her and, and taught her, even from a young age, to learn big chunks of Scripture. By the time she was eight, by the time Fanny was eight, get this, I don't know how many eight-year-olds you know. By the time she was eight, she wrote her first poem. I, I've got a slide there. This is, this is the first poem she ever wrote from an eight-year-old. Oh, what a happy soul I am, am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. At around age 24, um, she published her first book called The Blind Girl and Other Poems. And very soon, kind of at that age, became the most kind of well-connected well-respected American poets and hymn writers of the time. Um, she was under contract, get this, she was under contract to submit three hymns a week to her publisher. Uh, we, that sounds like a lot to us, except that she often wrote six or seven hymns a day, so it wasn't too, too hard for her. In total, throughout her lifetime, she wrote more than 9,000 hymns, 9,000 hymns including some of the most well-often-sung hymns of the last 100, 150 years. Hymns that you and I know very well. Praise Him, 
praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Later on in her life, when a pastor told her, what a pity, what a pity it was that she had been blind all of these years. You know what she replied? She said, I'm thankful for it because it meant that the first sight she would ever see would be of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all of His splendor, in all of His glory. See, Fanny Crosby, she could have thrown up all kinds of complaints to God for her blindness, all kinds of excuses for even not serving God with the gifts that she did have, but she didn't. And because she didn't, you and I, we get to reap the blessings of her obedience to God's call. And lastly, I can give you one more real-life example of this. Um, and he, he's not here. This, he, he's given me permission to kind of use him as an example. Um, and probably good that he's not here because he doesn't like this kind of attention being um, brought upon himself. But we have our brother Gary amongst us. Right? Brother Gary, as, as if you know, he spoke here last week. Gary's in a wheelchair, and, and, and that brings all of its obvious setbacks. But if there is someone that we could say maybe has every right to complain about how hard it is to do things, it would be Gary. Someone who would say, you have every right to, to turn things down when you're asked to do them, it would be Gary. But that's not Gary. If you know Gary, you'd know that's not Gary. Gary is a living, breathing example. There should be nothing stopping us from being used by God. I'll often email people within the church um, to help with you know, uh, this, this preaching ministry and um, help out with the preaching. And look, I get it. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of preparation. I understand people have their reasons for not getting involved in this area. But you know who the only person I don't have to ask is? Gary. I don't have to ask Gary because he's the one asking me. When can I get an opportunity to speak? I love doing it. This is how I believe God has gifted me, and so I want to do it. And He's not going to let His inability to do certain things stand in the way of being used by God in this area. See, I reckon Gary believes what Fanny Crosby believed and what Moses should have believed instead of coming up with so many excuses. God made you exactly how He wanted to make you. And that's exactly how He wants to use you. We have all been fearfully and wonderfully made. And if God is going to be with us like He promises to be, then whatever abilities, whatever disabilities we have, it's to be used for God's glory, for God's service, to be used to bless others. So before we sing this wonderful hymn from Fanny Crosby, I thought maybe, could, maybe you'd need to take just a moment of silence before God. Just you and God quietly. And take a moment to ask God, what is it holding me back from following you? What are my reasons or excuses holding me back from hearing and obeying your call? What's holding me back from saying, yes, God, I'll go. 
or be involved in service, in ministry, in blessing God's people, whatever it is. Take a moment with God and then we'll sing.